6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 31 through 36. David continues, I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy, thou hast set my feet in a large room. You know, verse 7 there is exactly what the Lord said about his people in Egypt. You may recall in Exodus, he saw the affliction of his people and so forth and took action. And uh, so, thou hast not shut me up in the hand of the enemy. Quite the contrary. Remember in John 10, whose hand are we in? The Lord's. It talks about that in John 10. And, and uh, you want to look at John chapter 10. Verses 27 to 30 for your notes. And thou hast set me my feet in a large room. In previous Psalms, we've noticed that when David's in trouble, he's said to be in a tight place. We use that same expression today in our vernacular. Boy, I'm in a tight place. I mean, I got no way to maneuver. And what does God do? Where did that kind of say? He puts us in a large room, gives us space, if you will. And when David was in trouble. What does he do? Verse 9 is the example. It's the prayer of the psalm. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. And indeed, when you're in trouble, it affects your organs. It affects your whole physical being, not just a mental thing. David continues, verse 10. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. He was on the run for 10 years. Hiding from caves and place to place and so forth. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear of mine acquaintance. They that did see me without fled from me. Even his best friends and his neighbors didn't want to be seen with him. That must have hurt. Because many of those he thought at one time were his friends. Because I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind, I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Oh boy, slander. Here I'll resist the temptation to depart and go into a little side study of gossip. The most painful of all sins. The venom does its silent work behind the scenes. For I've heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. The word fear, by the way, is not the usual word uh, fear here. It's terror. Terror, dread. It's used six times by Jeremiah in the same sense. Now, if this is, some people conjecture that this 
What gave rise to the psalm was the, the rebellion of Absalom as he tried to take away the throne of David. His own son tried to take it away from him. And while that was going on, David's primary counselor, his chief counselor, was a guy by the, an old man by the name of Ahithophel. And even Ahithophel turns against him and joins Absalom in the rebellion. And that's a mystery to many until you do a little bit of homework and discover that, um, that Ahithophel's son was Bathsheba's father. In other words, Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. And you get the impression that Ahithophel never forgave David for what he did to Bathsheba. But David continues, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, I, thou art my God. I can think of somebody else that said that when he was confronted about putting his finger in nail prints. Remember Thomas? He was invited to do so. And I believe he fell to his knees when he said, thou art my Lord and my God. David continues, my times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. My times are in thy hand. Are your times in God's hand? When things get really dark, when you get really frightened, when things really turn against you, remember the times are in God's hand. The circumstances are in a pair of crucified hands. Not yours, our Lord's. There's comfort in that, obviously. Shakespeare said it kind of, he said, Be thou as chaste as ice, as pure as snow, thou shalt not escape Calumny. No matter how clean you are, no matter how perfect you are, you can count on being insulted, lied against, and so forth. Injured by slander, what have you. David continues, verse 16, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. If his face is shining upon you, you've got to be close to him. That's part of the thought there. And indeed, the Lord's face did shine upon David. That is, of course, number six. That's the Old Testament benediction. Lord, bless thee, Lord. Make his face to shine upon thee, be gracious upon thee, and so forth. Make thy face shine upon thy servants. Save me for thy mercy's sake. It's interesting, David, while he announces that he's confessed his sins and is clean, he, he, lay, he rests his case on the Lord's reputation, not his own. It's the Lord's reputation that's at risk, is David's suggestion here. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. That's his plea. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. And then we have an interesting verse 20. I won't make a big thing of it, but I want you to just take a note of it. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. I wouldn't build a, any doctrine on this, but it could be eschatological here. Is, could this be another hint of hiding them in a secret place as we encountered in Psalm 27 verse 5? We talked about that previously. You annotate that and come to your own conclusions. Verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he hath shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. The word strong city in the King James is actually the besieged city, and so indicated in the NIV and then 
New American Standard Bible. This, this may connect this volatile situation with David's experience at Kila, which in 1 Samuel 23, or at Ziklag in 1 Samuel 30. And more probably, uh, those are two suggestions by some commentators. More likely, it seems, if you're going to infer this, it probably has to do with uh, Absalom's rebellion in, verse, in 2 Samuel 15 to 18. And if that's the case, the strong city would refer to the besieged city, which would be Jerusalem. And after playing Jerusalem, David made his capital in uh, Mahanim, which is uh, in 2 Samuel 17. But, uh, for I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. So, so this is the, the, the again, the, the speculation about the besieged city, either at Kila or Ziklag, which is 1 Samuel 23 or 1 Samuel 30. You can look at those places and see if you think it fits. But the most likely thing, I think by most scholars, is that it connects with the, the, this widespread rebellion by Absalom. And if so, that's Jerusalem. And so, okay. Verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. You know, it's interesting, from a New Testament Christian, we don't emphasize this whole idea of perseverance. We're so grateful to be saved by grace, we stop there and don't look beyond that. And one of the things that we need to do a little study on is to recognize that there is an emphasis in the New Testament to persevering to the end. And, and uh, uh, that doesn't mean you can lose your salvation, but it does mean you may be losing your rewards. You may enter heaven, but you may not be inheriting heaven. There's a difference, and the Scripture seems to deal with that. So I'll leave you to be diligent in that area. The Lord preserveth the faithful, and plentifully rewardeth who? The listener? No, the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. So after it was all over, after, after all this is over, he spoke to the people and gave God the glory for delivering him. So that's, that was Psalm 31. Now we get to Psalm 32. This is regarded by most scholars as the second of what's called the penitential psalms. Psalms that deal with the, the, the person being chastised or disciplined. And that's the way they classify it. After reading Psalm 32, I don't quite agree. And we'll take a look at this. The penitential psalms are typically called 632, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. That's there's seven of them. But uh, we're in dealing with, we had one of those in Psalm 6. We're going to hit the second one in Psalm 32, the so-called penitential psalms. What do we mean by that? Where you're suffering under God's discipline and not being judged, different thing. Being suffering in a sense of like a, like, a, like a father takes his son to the woodshed kind of thing. What are our choices if we are in God's discipline? Well, we can despise it. We can resist it. We can collapse under it. Or we can accept it and submit to it and pray that the lessons not be wasted. If God's taking us to the woodshed, we want to understand why, so we don't have to. So it won't happen again. And you also want to pray that it's undeserved. It's not something that you that you that's it should be undeserved. And, and Jesus talks about that in Matthew five and First Peter does in First Peter three. Now. It's interesting that Galileo was imprisoned by the Inquisition at Rome for asserting the Copernican um, system, 
that this, you know, that the earth revolves around the sun. He was enjoined as a penance to repeat the seven penitential psalms every week for three years. Okay? Strange penitence. We'll come back to the Pauline psalms in a minute. But let's, but anyway, let's just take, uh, uh, let's remind ourselves what, the, Psalm 32 was clearly a response to Psalm 51. David had a, a major mistake with Bathsheba and murdering of Uriah. We're all familiar with that. Psalm 51 is where David confesses their sin, his sin and repents of it. Psalm 32 appears to be a response by David when he's forgiven for that sin. Nathan announces God's forgiveness of that. And, um, and uh, so that's, and, and in Psalm 51, we'll get to that later, but just this part of it you want to be aware of here. In Psalm 51, David says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. He confesses his sin and asks God to restore to me the joy of salvation. Is it, what does David promise to do in Psalm 51? Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted to them. In other words, Father, restore unto me, accept my, forgive me, and if so, I'll declare it from the housetops. That's what he's saying in effect. And I will teach transgressors thy ways. Sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. That's his promise in Psalm 51. And I believe Psalm 32 is the fulfillment of that promise by David. Psalm, 50, Psalm 32 is also called a mashil psalm. And uh, we find that in a number of psalms that have that label. The word mashil means to instruct means several things, but it, it, the word itself is regarded to mean a skillful song or a song of instruction. And it's the term, that same Hebrew word is used in verse 8 to mean instruction. So it may be a musical term also, but it also implies something more than that. It's didactic. The same Hebrew word is used in Daniel 11 in two places, chapter, in verse 33 and 25. And it's also... Um, the word for wise, many who, who uh, turn to righteousness, uh, many who are wise will turn, uh, a wise will turn many to righteousness in, in uh, Daniel 12, in, in, in uh, verse 3 and also verse 10. The, it's the same concept that Jesus says in Matthew 24, 15. It says that, uh, uh, he said, when you shall see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place. And then there's a parenthesis, whosoever readeth, let him understand. That's the same concept, be instructed. And Revelation 13, when it talks about the 666, here is, here is understanding, that he that has understanding, mark the number of these, that word understanding, instruction, the same, same word is used here. It may be a musical direction, which now is lost, that's a conjecture. The, the, a Meshel Psalm in, in the Jewish community, Psalm 32, was used to close at the close of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. In the Christian church, it was always used on Ash Wednesday on the, on the formal church calendar. So, so much for that. There are four basic facts in this psalm about sin and forgiveness. That's what makes this a very fundamental theological psalm. Four basic facts about sin and forgiveness. The blessing of acceptance, the folly of impenitence, the way of deliverance, and the joy of obedience. Four segments to the psalm. The first two verses, the blessing of acceptance. Let's take a look at that. Psalm of David, Mishael, for instruction, apparently. 
Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Paul quotes these two verses in Romans chapter 4 in his definitive statement of Christian doctrine called the book of Romans chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 6 through 8. 6, 4, 5, yeah, 6, 7, and 8. Um, his argument for salvation by uh, grace alone, apart from the works of the law. Here's what he says, Paul writing to the Romans. Even as David also described the blessedness, and by the way, that's in the plural, it's blessednesses, of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, we just hit a lot of new words here. Iniquities, sins, impute. We'll talk about that in a minute. Martin Luther, when they asked what psalms did he love the best, he said the Palsamim Paulini, which means the Pauline Psalms. Which ones were those, he was asked. The 32nd, the 51st, the 130th, 143rd. Those to, to Martin Luther were the four that he felt the most endeared to. Psalm of David. Blessed is the, he who, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Got transgression and sins. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Impute and iniquity. Wow, what is that? We've got a, quite a vocabulary thrown at us here suddenly. What is a transgression? The word actually means crossing over the line. That's a, it's a form of rebellion against God, literally, if you're guilty of a transgression. Sin technically means to miss the mark. We use it to mean to fail to live up to God's standards. That's what a sin is. It's a little different. Iniquity literally means twisted. And it's what happens to the character, the inner character of a sinner. When you sin, you become twisted. And that's, what, that's what the word iniquity actually means. And of course, forgiveness is, of, of that is, is pictured by a scapegoat on Yom Kippur. Um, guile means deception. That's pretty straightforward. Forgive is to remove a burden. And that's why the, the, the scapegoat of Yom Kippur is one, is, is one way to, to visualize that, put that burden on another. And uh, that's what Leviticus 16 talks about, and Psalm 20, 103 we'll talk about, and John details it right in the front, up front. And the word impute is a bookkeeping term. It means to put on account, to record, put to, to, to set, the rec, set on, rec, on the record. When we confess our sins, God is, cancels our debt, and it's no longer on the books. That's the good news about impute. Okay, so we've had the blessing of acceptance. Now let's talk about the folly of impenitence, the next two verses. This is a heavy psalm. Psalm 32 is a, is a bucketful here. Verse 3, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through, all my, through my roaring all the day long. David's uh, experience with forgiveness didn't come for a whole year. He committed a sin with Bathsheba. He arranged for her husband to be murdered. All of that. And he was wrestling with that. He was in agony. He couldn't deal with it. We, 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 we don't realize the time passing. As you read the, the, the narrative there, it was actually almost a year that they were being covered up. And that, that took a penalty 
on David's life. On his, he, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. He is, he is under stress. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the draught of summer. And Selah, pause and consider. Stop, look, and listen, what that really means. And uh, so, Charles Spurgeon said it well. He says that God does not permit his children to sin successfully. If you're not a child of God, you won't have that problem. If you're a child of God and you've sinned, it's going to tear you apart until you confess it. Once you confess it, God will deal with it. And the, my bones roaring, by the way, the, uh, 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 waxed old through my, my roaring. It's just groaning. That's, that's also alluded to in Psalm 51. And sail, of course, means stop, look, and listen. We've talked about that. It's not necessarily musical instruction. It's to connect the subject matter, not music. One strophe connecting the beginning and the next. It's sometimes synthetic, sometimes antithetic. Okay, fine. It's concerned with truth, not tunes, is the suggestion. It used three times in this psalm. That's why I want to reemphasize that. Stop, look, and listen. Okay. The way of deliverance, verses 5 through 7. David says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Man. Remember, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to David. And Nathan told David this story about this Lord that had a lot of sheep. There was a poor guy that had just one sheep, little ewe lamb that he loved. The rich man had a visitor he wanted to honor. So he didn't take one of his lambs. He took this one, this man's only sheep, slaughtered it to serve the, his guest. And uh, David was so incensed by this story that uh, he thought that something should be done. Then Nathan looked David in the eye and says, you're the man. And David realized by analogy, he was that guy taking Uriah's wife when he could have had anybody in the kingdom. And so uh, he acknowledges sin before God. I acknowledge my sin to thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord and thou forgavest, forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And your Reference here for yourself is 1 John 1 9. That's God's, that's the Christian's bar of soap. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a precious promise to cling to. David did. And his, and he, his transgression, he was, Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. And, uh, God, if you will confess your sins before the throne, God will put the righteousness of Christ on your account and erase that debt. And then he goes on, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. What flood is he talking about? It could be Noah's. You can, it's just, it's just you treat it idiomatically if you like. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah again. Praise God. Now David was forgiven for his sin, but that doesn't mean he is exempt from the effects of that sin, and he had a family of troubles. 
What transpired? Well, Bathsheba's son, the one she became pregnant with, died. So he, the first son died. David's son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar and then was slain by Absalom. You think you, your family has got problems? 2 Samuel 13. Absalom then goes on to try to seize the throne. He ends up getting killed by uh, David's general, Joab. And while David was, even while he was on his deathbed, Adonijah tried to take the scepter from Solomon. And Adonijah was slain, 1 Kings 1. And this is just a capsule of the, can you imagine the troubles and the tensions in that family? And uh, now Bathsheba's first surviving son becomes Solomon that Matthew builds his legal genealogy of Christ on. Bathsheba's second surviving son, a son by the name of Nathan, not the prophet, another son, is the one that Luke uses to identify Mary's genealogy, and that's a whole study you know, call your attention to another time. Okay, the way of deliverance, we now go to the joy of obedience, verses 8 through 11. David continues, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. He's quoting God here. That's God's term. God gave David the assurance of salvation. Boy, don't we relish in that if we really understand it. That, he, that David got back the joy of salvation that was restored to him. If he remains obedient. Because then it continues some instruction here. There's a little humor thrown in here. Be not as the horse or as, or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with a bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. In other words, David was not to descend to that of an animal, impetuous like a horse and stubborn like a mule, if you will, is the suggestion. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.